25 says, guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior. In a time when you really don't know when you're being told the truth, anytime you turn on the TV station, are, are they actually telling me the truth? Isn't it good that there's still a place where we can find truth, where we can hear truth? Whenever Jesus came to the world, they said he is full of grace and truth. He said the truth shall set you free. He said that we worship the Father in the spirit and the truth. It says that the evil one cannot hold to the truth. He does not, he is actually the father of lies and in the end people will suppress the truth. It says that love rejoices with the truth and the spirit is the truth and we're sanctified by the truth and the word is the truth. And then finally he says, Jesus says, I am the truth. And so we come here today with all these fun things, but at the end of the day, we want to be the church of the living God, as Paul said, a pillar and foundation of truth. First John 3 says we belong to the truth. And so my prayer this morning is that the seeds of truth would enter into our hearts and minds. And let me illustrate today's message simply this way. We got four kids, my wife and I, their ages are eight, six, four, and one. And one of the blessings of having kids is that eventually they grow old enough to where they actually start helping out around the farm or the suburbs, <laughs> right? And that's, that's kind of the plan of God, I think. I think his plan is if you don't kill your kids, eventually they're gonna help you do some things around the house. And, and one of the things that adults do is we go grocery shopping. I don't have enough hours in the day to give you my frustrations about the grocery shopping system of Katy, Texas, but, but, I will tell you this, there's one thing I've learned about grocery shopping. When you think it's over, it's not over because when you did all the grocery shopping and you get home, you realize I still gotta carry all the bags from the trunk of my car to the kitchen and then you think it's over, oh, it's not over. You gotta get the stuff out of the bags and the refrigerator and, and my wife does most of this. I really don't know why I'm complaining, but I have learned recently that our older three have been helping carry the bags to the, from the trunk of the car to the kitchen counter. But I have been watching them do it all wrong. Yes, there is a wrong way and a right way to carry the grocery bags from the car to the kitchen sink. You say, Nathan, how, how do you know that? Because I'm watching him from the couch as I'm sipping sweet tea, <laughs> shaking my head. But, but here's the deal. There is a right way and there is a wrong way to carry the bags from the trunk of the car to the kitchen. And, and, and here's the deal. If you don't hear anything else today, hear God's truth. It should only take one trip from the trunk of the car to the kitchen sink. And all God's men said, it doesn't matter if there's five bags or 55 bags. There's a way to do it. And I don't know when I learned this. If it was just a genetic thing or the Spirit of God taught me this as a kid. But there's a way to do this. And that is if you... When you look at the trunk of the car, you think, man, this is my day to break a record. And you hold out your arms, you can't do them totally straight, but a little bit of a hook, and you may need somebody to help you as they put the bags on the end of your arms. And okay, here's the lettuce, and here's the grape jelly, and here's the kale, and who in the, we bought kale today, are you kidding me? And, and, and here's the milk, and oh, oh, this one's gonna be a little bit heavier, and there's the eggs, okay, here's the eggs, and, and here's this, and here's that, and eventually they're all on your arm, and, and you did it, and you start to make your way to the front door, and you look around, or the neighbors watching this Olympic athletic feat, and as you're going into the house, you think, I got this, but about 60% of the way into the house, you immediately realize the regret. 
because the weight is too much, the burden is too heavy, and you start to regret the, why did I do one trip? And your shoulders are starting to come out of socket, but, but I got this. And then you can finally see the, the kitchen island, and, and now you're 80% of the way, but you're no longer walking with a, with a swag. Now you're going as fast as you can, and your arms are about to fall over, and finally you get to the kitchen sink, and you just throw it onto the kitchen sink. How many did I drop? I hope that wasn't the milk. And we look at that, and if I ever see my kids finally graduate to that point, I will realize that I have done all that God has called me to do as a parent. That is my understanding. But why do I tell you that story? Because that's an extremely accurate picture of what many people think Christianity is, unfortunately. Is that we sit at the trunk of the car and we say, I got this, and we're motivated after Sunday morning church, after a grand opening church service, and I'm going to enter into Christianity, and I got this. And the preacher said, read your Bible. Okay, put that on that arm. And, 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 and you should be praying. Okay, here's that bag. And you better go to church every Sunday. Okay, here's that bag. And, and you better not cuss. Oh, you, I better not cuss. Okay, put it on that bag. And there's this and there's that. And, he keep, and, and we keep putting bags in the arm, and we say, but it's okay. I got this. I'm motivated today. But by Tuesday... The weight becomes heavy. And Wednesday night, Bible study, are you kidding me? And Thursday, I don't know if I can go any farther. And Friday comes and Saturday, and your wife says, are you doing okay? I'm serving the Lord. Get out of my way. And then we just limp into church on Sunday morning. And we think that's what Christianity is. I'm sad for two groups of people today. I'm sad. For the non-Christian who hasn't entered into the faith because they think that's what Christianity is. And it's not your fault because that's, that's what's been portrayed to you. That's what's been example to you. That may have been what was taught to you growing up. And I'm sad for the Christian who thinks that's what Christianity is because they are living a joyless Christian life. Sometimes people look at me when they find out that I'm a Christian and they give me a sympathetic, oh, you're a Christian, I'm so sorry. They hooked you in. Why did you drink the Kool-Aid? You look smarter than that. I'm so sorry that you're a Christian, but I just want you to know this today. I am glad that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I am glad that I'm a believer in him, and I don't regret one day that I gave my life to him. And the greatest joy and the greatest thrills and the greatest adventures and the greatest inner satisfaction has come from walking with Jesus because Christianity is not carrying the bags. What if you were wrong on what Christianity is? What if it was something different? One of the greatest invitations that Jesus ever gave came in Matthew chapter 11. You can turn in your Bibles there. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Doesn't that sound good? Even if you don't know what it means, doesn't that sound good? That's a good verse. That's a good invitation. Now, who's he talking to? He's talking to the weary. He's talking to the burdened. Why are they weary and burdened? Well, maybe it's just life. Maybe it's just that life is hard. And we would all agree, life has a lot of pressures and life is hard. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your circumstance. Life is hard. Would you say that with me? Life is hard. We know that. Maybe that's who he's talking about. Many of you know who this is. This is Simone Biles. She pulled out of the Olympics, at least several of the events of the Olympics, about a month ago, was it now? I don't know your thoughts on Simone Biles or, 
or her decision to pull out, and it doesn't really matter what your opinion is, and, and we better be nice because she does live in Houston after all. But regardless of what you think about her decision, one thing is clear and one thing is true, and that is when she put it this way, I know I brush it off and make it seem like the pressure, there it is, doesn't affect me, but sometimes it's hard. Now maybe you think she should have pushed through the hard, but that's not the point. She's admitting you can be an Olympic athlete, you can be famous, you can be rich. It's, it's still hard. I kind of appreciate what this man wrote whenever he talked about a dog who kept showing up at his house, taking a nap in the afternoon and then leaving, just some random dog. He said, an older, tired-looking dog wandered in my yard. I could tell from his collar and well-fed belly that he had a home and was well taken care of. He calmly came over to me. I gave him a few pats on his head, and then he followed me into my house, slowly walked down the hall, curled up in the corner, and fell asleep. An hour later, he went to the door. I let him out. The next day, he was back, greeted me in my yard, walked inside, resumed his spot in the hall, and again, slept for about an hour. This continued off and on for several weeks. Curious, I pinned a note to his collar, and I wrote, I would like to find out who the owner of this wonderful, sweet dog is and ask if you are aware that almost every afternoon, your dog comes to my house for a nap. The next day... The dog arrived for his nap with a different note pinned to his collar. Here's what it said. He lives in a home with six children, two under the age of three, and he's trying to catch up on his sleep. Can I come with him tomorrow? <laughs> oh, I like that. And if you think Christianity is about carrying the bags, and I hope I don't drop a bag, then that's you. And you're probably exhausted, and you're probably weary, and you're probably burdened. If you live in this world long enough, you'll bleed. You'll bleed. Jesus says, John 16, in this world, you will have trouble. So I don't know all the stories in the room, but I know a lot of burdens walked in this room today. Amen? And let's just be aware of that. But he says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I actually don't think he's talking about life. Because the context of Matthew 11 and the context of Matthew 12 this is sandwiched in between. He's actually talking about religious burdens. He's actually talking about the rules and the regulations that the religious leaders was putting onto the people. In the amplified version, in verse 28, it puts it this way. Come to me, all who are weary and heavily burdened by religious rituals that provide no peace. So, so let's make this simple this morning. Here it is. There's religion and there's Christianity and they're not the same. They're not the same. And let me give you a couple ideas of why they're not the same. Religion is about what you do. Christianity is about who you know. Would you say that out loud with me? Religion is about what you do. Christianity is about who you know. Do you know him? Do you know him? Religion is about carrying the bags and did I drop the bread? Christianity is about are you walking with the Savior? And Jesus is the prime exhibit of this. Just imagine, if God came down from heaven and put on skin, would he keep his distance from us, from us dirty people, or would he come up close and personal? What do you think he would do? Well, you remember the woman at the well, don't you? 
All the Jews wouldn't associate with her because she's the wrong ethnicity or the wrong religion. All the men wouldn't associate with her because she's the wrong gender. All of her own people wouldn't associate with her because she had the wrong past and the wrong sin and the wrong guilt and the wrong shame. But Jesus talked with her at the well and the disciples couldn't believe it because it's personal with Jesus. Or you remember the woman caught in adultery, don't you? While the religious leaders were pointing a finger and ready to throw the stone and condemn her to death, there's this line that we love, those of you with no sin, you cast the first stone. And we say that's the best part of the story, but I think there's a better part of the story. The scriptures say that Jesus stooped down onto the ground to be with her because it's personal. Or Zacchaeus, who was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he, the biggest sinner in town, the traitor of traitors, is a tax collector. Zacchaeus is up in the tree and Jesus says, hey, you, Zacchaeus, let's do lunch today. Let's get some takeout of Joy Love Burger. God bless Joy Love Burger. They're not sponsoring today, but if I say them three times, maybe they will. Joy Love Burger. Let's do some takeout in your home and we're gonna have lunch today. And two hours later, they walk out of lunch and Zacchaeus was a new man because it was personal with Jesus. When Jesus' best friend dies, Lazarus, he shows up at the funeral and there's Mary and Martha and everyone is crying. And Jesus knows he's gonna raise him from the dead. Jesus knows he's gonna raise him from the dead. But it says while they're crying, Jesus wept because it's personal. Or Peter, if there's a sin that should get you kicked out of heaven, it's denying the Lord on the night of the cross, right? Three times. But after the death, after the resurrection, after the ascension, Jesus has breakfast with Peter and he doesn't point out his sin. He says, do you love me? And isn't that the question today, church? Do you love me? And he says, you know that I love you. And here's the deal. Religion is, is not about what you've done. Religion is about what you've done. Christianity is about what's been done for you. And look at what God has done for us. Number two, Religion is about your strength. Christianity is about his strength. Last November, this church was meeting in the theater, and I had done some spreadsheet work the week before. I just started got, getting kind of interested. What's the chances of us getting a building? And I did the math, and I did the finances, and I'm, I'm kind of a numbers guy, and make sure I'm kind of an overly frugal guy, and I'm, I'm looking at the numbers conservatively. And I basically figured out that by the year 2044, we might have enough money to buy land in Katy, Texas, and have a building. I, that's not a joke. 2044 was generous. <laughs> and it kind of discouraged me. I thought, well, the pace we're going in okay, 2044, I might be alive, I might not be alive. And I don't know why I did it. I didn't plan this. Whenever I do announcements at the end of service, I don't go off cuff. So I, I, I didn't plan it. It's not my style. But I came up during announcements on the first Sunday of November, and I just, it just came out. I just said, church, would you start praying that God gives us a building? Just start praying. I got off the stage, and I went, what was that? <laughs> what in the world? One month later, we were signing on the dotted line for this building. And, yeah. 
and there were things that started happening. There was a big gift that came in, and then there was a phone call, and then there was a visit to the church, and the Solomon Foundation called us, and Nathan, we heard, and just it all, and a month later, we're signing on the building, and, and all I can tell you is I did the spreadsheet. I knew what my strength was capable of. <laughs> and then there's God's strength. And we tapped in to call on the name of the Lord. We tapped into the power of God. See, religion is about your strength. Christianity is about his strength. And he makes all the difference in the world. So it's a little bit of crowd participation just for a little bit of fun. I don't know how well you know movies. Um, I hope you do, but I'm, I'm going to give you a quote from a movie, a famous movie, and, and, and you just yell out the name of the movie. I, I'm, I'm hoping somebody gets 100% today on this. I'm going to start with some easy ones. Here's the first one. Just yell it out. May the force be with you. And if you didn't know that, the door's right there. You can just make your way on out. <clears throat> We're going to need a bigger boat. We lost some of you on that one. Okay. We're not in Kansas anymore. Show me the money. <clears throat> I'll be back. I didn't plan on doing the voice, but it just happened. You can't do that without the voice. If you watch the baseball game the other night, if you build it, they will come. God bless you. Mama always said life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to have. You know that good. Just let me finish it. <laughs> ah, greatest movie of all time. Okay. Visualize Jack Nicholson, courtroom. You can't handle the truth. A few good men. And I illustrate it that way because I don't know how many can handle this truth today, but you're not strong enough. You're not strong enough. Now you may think you are and everything's going well right now and the bills are getting paid and the family's doing good and the kids are behaving in the house and the mortgage and all that and the, and the job is fine. You may think, but your time is coming. If you're not in the valley right now, the valley is ahead of you somewhere. And one of the greatest moments of your life is when you finally get on your knees and say, God, I can't do it by myself anymore. Religion, go for it. It'll wear you out. It's all about your strength. But Christianity is about his strength. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 says, be strong in the Lord, not in yourself and in his mighty power. So one of the things that happens whenever I carry the bags from the car to the kitchen sink is about the last 10 steps as I'm going through the kitchen, there's inevitably somebody in the living room that just wants to start a conversation with me all of a sudden. But I've got nothing left. I'm wearied and I'm burdened and I'm not in a good mood. Hey, Nathan, did you call that insurance company back? Don't talk to me, I'm serving Jesus right now, you know. But that's what happens as your strength wears out your joy wears thin and your character falls apart. Let me say it again. As your strength wears out, your joy wears thin and your character falls apart. That's religion and that's your strength. Look at verse 29 and 30. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What's a, what's a yoke? Well, it's a horizontal beam with rings on the other on, on both sides, they go around the neck of an animal. When they used to try to train a 
a young oxen, when they used to try to train it, they would yoke it to a mature, experienced oxen because the mature and experienced ox would carry most of the burden. This text isn't saying Christianity is light. It, it's not saying Christianity is lazy. It's not saying Christianity has no burdens. My goodness, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. What it's saying is when you're yoked to Jesus, he's the one who carries the burden, amen? He's the one who handles the strength and that takes care of the power. Maybe, just maybe, the reason you're so exhausted is because you're not yoked to Jesus. And you're carrying the burden today. And finally, religion is about achieving. Christianity is about receiving. Do you remember Mary and Martha? Martha's in the kitchen. Jesus is in the living room. Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. But Martha's doing all the dinner work. She's setting the table. She's cooking the turkey. She's getting the mashed potatoes with white gravy because that's God's will, white gravy, not brown gravy. And, and, and she's getting it all ready. And she yells at Jesus, get, Mar get Mary in here. She's not helping me. She's not doing. She's mad. And here's what Jesus says in verse 41. Martha, Martha. And anytime Jesus says your name twice, put on your seatbelt. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but there's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. What's the difference in Martha and Mary? Martha was all about doing. Mary was all about receiving from Jesus. See, this is what some of you were banking on. You've been achieving this whole time. Nathan, I've been memorizing verses. I've been reading my Bible every day. I've been praying, and I have a streak going on, 945 days. And I prayed every day, and, and, and I've been going to church, and I've built up all this spiritual currency. When I show up to heaven, I'm going to pull it out of my pocket and show Jesus, here it is. Here's my spiritual currency. But he's going to look at it and say, we don't accept that here. Because the Bible says your righteousness is as filthy rags. Religion says you achieve to be blessed, serve to be blessed, give to be blessed. Volunteer to be blessed, attend to be blessed, memorize to be blessed. Jesus just says, you're blessed. And then from that blessing, you give and you serve and you, and you bless others. You don't achieve for the blessing. You are blessed and therefore that is what you do. John 17, 3 says, this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I appreciate Dave Thurman's story about his church. One day a young mother was sitting in the crowd during the song service and they were singing the words, I exalt thee, O Lord. I exalt thee, O Lord. And she looked down at her five-year-old daughter who's right next to her and she glanced down at her and her five-year-old daughter has her hands up in the air, I'm exhausted, O Lord. I'm exhausted, O Lord. And we laugh, but that's religion, isn't it? And maybe that little girl looked around the room and saw a bunch of exhausted people because they weren't yoked to Jesus. The most important part as we close this morning is the first three words of this verse. Jesus says, come to me. Religion says do, Jesus says come. Religion says do, Jesus says come. 
I want to close with this. When I was 11 or 12, this is actually my dad's story. He's been in the ministry for 48 years. And so this happened in his ministry when I was growing up, but was extremely impactful to me. One day, regular church service, packed house, kind of like this. Dad was sitting toward the first or second row and a new visitor walked in, young lady with kids. And he noticed from where he was sitting, she's new and he thought in his head, I wanna connect with her after church. That's what preachers do. We go, I mean, I'm, I'll do the same thing today. I'll be out there by the door and I wanna connect with all of you. And he thought I'll connect with her after church, but she came in late and then she, she left early. She left her in the closing song so he didn't get to meet her. Then the next Sunday came and she came back in again, but it was during the second song. And then she left her in the closing song. Still didn't get to meet her. Then he started asking around, did anybody know her? And somebody did, gave, her, gave him her address. He went by that week and visited, knocked on the door and she was home, the husband was home, the kids were home and he started to talk with them about Jesus. And she had good questions, good conversation. And then he looked to the husband, Terry, who hadn't been there. And he said, what about you? Would you like to talk about Jesus? And he said, no, nah, that's not for me. That's for her. If they want to do that, they can do it. Actually gets him out of the house on Sunday. I don't have to be around him for a little while. All right. The weeks went on, the months went on. They kept coming one after another, started to give their life to Jesus. They started to enter the waters of baptism. Kids were giving their life to Christ. Sharon gave her life to Christ, but no Terry. Didn't walk in. And then it happened, early 1995, only Illinois. The explosion at the plant where Terry worked. Huge fire, people perished. Terry was up in the building, up on the, rock, uh, up on the walkway. And Mike Hill tells the story. Mike was a firefighter in our church, big Mike Hill, 6'4". Remember Mike? And Mike says, I went up there on the other walkway and in between Terry and me was the fire. And Mike yelled, Terry, you gotta jump. You gotta jump to me to get you out. And Terry yelled back, I can't, I'm burned and I have, I have broken legs. My legs are broken. And Mike just kept, you gotta do something. And eventually over the course of a few minutes, finally Terry just kind of launched himself out and Mike was able to reach out far enough and grab Terry and catch him and pull him to safety. They immediately rushed him to Springfield, Illinois, where the burn unit was. I don't know if you've ever been to a burn unit. The smell, the sound, the screaming, the moans. I've been to one, Tulsa, Oklahoma. It's hard. And nobody thought Terry would make it. He was unconscious. The pain is unbearable. They had him on pain medicine. Dad went up there to Springfield the first week. Terry never moved. He was unconscious the whole time. Goes up there the second week. He's unconscious the whole time. Then the third week, dad goes on up there and Terry's sitting in a wheelchair, still bandaged up, not moving, still on pain meds, but okay. And then he got the call from Sharon. Terry just blinked his eye. He's conscious. There's hope. A few weeks passed and dad went back up to Springfield, Illinois and Terry was able to have a conversation and dad sat down with him in the burn unit and they had small talk for a while but then dad popped the question, Terry, can I talk with you about Jesus? And Terry said, you bet. Who's to say God did not save me from one fire 
to save me from another. And so in a few months later, when they were finally able to release him and he was able to go back home to Alney, Illinois, Terry had made the decision, I'm gonna be baptized, I'm gonna make this personal with Jesus. But they realized we can't get Terry in the baptistry, his legs, the, the, the steps that go up and the steps that go down. So somebody in the church just built an in-ground pool. And they asked him, can we use your pool? He said, you bet. And so they made the arrangements. And my dad buried Terry in the waters of baptism and he rose and walked in a new life that Jesus promised him. But whenever dad brought him up, he looked at his left hand and saw that there's blood all over his hand. And he realized what had happened. The new skin that had formed on Terry's back had rubbed off. And dad looked at Terry and said, Terry, I am so sorry that I hurt you. And Terry said, don't worry about it. This is the greatest day of my life. I'm with Terry. Nobody's ever gonna get me to regret the day that I gave my life to Jesus. Nobody's ever gonna get me to regret the day that I walked down an aisle much like these aisles right here and I said, I'm gonna make it personal with Jesus Christ. You will never get me to regret the day that I dropped the bags, I let Jesus carry the bags and I just started to walk with him. It was the greatest day of my life and it will be the greatest day of yours as well. Come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And if it can be personal with Terry, it can be personal with you.